Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Are You Bilingual podcast, a podcast about bilingualism and world languages. My name is Laura or Laura and I am a fifth year PhD student in the Bilingualism and Second Language Acquisition program at Rutgers University. Today, two other members of the Are You Bilingual organization are joining me in this episode, Juan and Ivan. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. My name is Juan. I am in the fourth uh, year of the PhD program in Bilingualism and Second Language Acquisition. I study Phonology and Phonetics and I'm happy to be here. Great. And what about you, Ivan? Well, my name is Ivan Andreu and I'm in the first year and I'm also happy to be here. Uh, we have a representation of all levels of the PhD mm -hmm. and my interests are also in phonetics. Uh, well, like I said, I'm very happy to be here. Okay, well, it's great to have you join me. And today, hopefully, your experience in phonetics will help us in talking about language, second language learning. So today, we are going to be discussing the um, differences between early and late second language acquisition. We are going to be talking about the advantages of learning a new language. And uh, we are going to also talk about um, the challenges that we can face when we are learning a new language and how we can learn and practice outside of uh, the classroom. So let's get started. Okay, to begin, Let's talk about the differences between uh, late L2 acquisition and early L2 acquisition. Ivan, at what age did you start learning a second language? What an interesting question. Well, I started learning French when I was uh, about eight years old. Mm -hmm. But English, since we are now talking in English, I started when I was 17 years old. So after what is called the critical prior hypothesis. Mm -hmm. And yeah, how are you? When did you start? Um, I started learning English when I was um, 15. Yes, I was 15 after the critical period. Um, so it was definitely adult acquisition. We will also need to discuss the differences between critical period and sensible period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that too. Mm -hmm. What about you, Laura? Um, so I started learning English as a child, although I would, well, I wouldn't really say that I was learning because it's, you know, like the numbers and the colors and that's pretty much it. Um, so I would say maybe like my more serious learning happened like after age 12, 13. Okay. And then I started learning German when I was uh, 18. So that's pretty late. Uh, yeah. And for you guys, uh, Do you find that it is easier to learn a second language as an adult or as a child? Um, well, in my experience, I didn't really have a hard time. I feel that um, I had a very high motivation for language learning and I actively practiced my second language at home, even though I had nobody to talk to at home. Um, I just practiced by myself and I listened to music and like downloaded lyrics and um, recorded myself speaking and then li like I actively 
I definitely was not a normal language learner. <laughs> so yeah, um, but there's definitely differences between learning a language um, when you're a child and learning it when you're an adult. In my experience as a teacher, I've perceived that children tend to be a little faster to acquire aspects of pronunciation, for example, or mm -hmm. ph phonological aspects. And, you know, based on research findings, the acquisition in children is supposed to have better results or, mm -hmm. or um, to go farther than the acquisition in adults. Um, what do you all think? Yeah, I think you made a really interesting point dividing what it will be uh, grammar acquisition versus phonetic acquisition. And I do really strongly believe that adults are able uh, at a certain point to get so with some grammar skills and syntax skills, whereas when it comes to phonetics, that's another, that's another story. <laughs> it becomes harder. And actually, we should talk about the abilities that adults have in comparison with children. When children learn a language, uh, language or acquires a language, they don't think about grammar. They don't think, oh, I need to put a subject. I need to put a verb. I need to put an object, whereas adults do. So why an adult with all of those strategies and that way of thinking, it is not able to acquire the language the same as an adult? So. Yeah, I, I believe that it also depends. Like There are some advantages to adult acquisition um, for example, in the case that you've mentioned, um, since adults have different strategies, they can focus on, on uh, you know, they can use their metalinguistic awareness, their knowledge of their language, um, of their first language, to acquire their second language. Um, when I started taking Italian classes, for example, I was able to make a connection between um, what I knew about Spanish, what I knew about English, and I used both languages to help me understand understand a little bit better, you know, the grammar and, and vocabulary of Italian. So that's an advantage that adults have since they have already acquired uh, a language. They, they can, you know, exploit those resources for second language learning. But in the case of adults, oh, I'm sorry, in the case of children, since they are still in the process of language acquisition um, and they don't have the same cognitive resources that adults have. They uh, might um, focus on other aspects of, of language, as, as, as you said, that they don't really think about like what's a verb and what's a, mm -hmm. a, an adjective. And they, they end up being more successful than, in most cases than adults. Yeah. So that's the beauty of being yes. <laughs> and, uh Yeah, and some people argue that these differences are caused by uh, the brain. So when you're a child, your brain is not completely developed, so it has more plasticity to acquire uh, new languages and new information in general. And as you grow older, uh, your brain becomes obviously more mature, uh, circuits are established and then it's harder to uh, modify its, its structure and that's why adults find uh, some more difficulties. And these um, differences in the brain plasticity are also related to a very important hypothesis in the field of language, second language acquisition, which is the critical period hypothesis. Um, you were talking about it earlier, Ivan, would you like to mention something about it? Of course, yeah, this is basically 
what the research has been thinking for long years versus what the more modern research believes nowadays. And it's been long thought that if you are, I don't know, 20, 30 years or 40 years old, you will no longer be able to acquire a second language, a second language. And in fact, you are able to learn a second language. You may not get or you may not reach a native level, but you will end up being fluent. And it really matters uh, how motivated you are, how the effort that you put it on, on what you are doing, and, and I don't know how you guys feel about it. I think that something you said is a very important point. Like, you might not reach like the same level of nativeness like as a native mm -hmm. speaker. Um, but I think that the purpose of learning a second language is not just like talking as a native, it's just like being able to communicate yes. and in different contexts and like to do it successfully with different speakers too. So I think it's very important to highlight that even if you may have a, a foreign accent or like an accent of a speaker of another language, you can still learn the language and you can still use it and communicate in it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah, and I think that's the main difference between the critical period hypothesis and the sensitive period, right? When the critical is that you will no longer be able to learn, whereas the sensible, which is the adequate term that I will use, is that, yeah, you are still able to learn. You may not get to be native, but you are still able to communicate, which is at the end of the day is the most important thing. It is important to consider that the origins of the critical period hypothesis were not based on second language um, acquisition or learning. They were mostly based on first language acquisition. And that's when they were able to find a lot of evidence that if you do not acquire a first language by a certain age, then you will have very um, like a very hard time acquiring it after you know that critical period but in terms of second language acquisition the concept of the critical period's hypothesis have you know they they have been able to find some evidence made that makes a difference between children and adults but the results are not as um, straightforward and as conclusive as they are for first language learning. So there are a lot of other factors that, that come into play when we talk about second language acquisition. Specifically, in when we you know acquire second language, the, the way we, the, the amount of time that we use the language might change throughout our lives. So even though one might start acquiring that language when you're a child, if you don't use it enough, you might not be able to reach the the ideal and optimal level of proficiency, but um, if you actually start, you know, and have a high level of, of language activation during adulthood, um, you might be able to actually reach um, a higher level um, of, of proficiency, right? Definitely, and um, also, Use it or lose it. <laughs> yeah, that links perfectly when I, with what I said at the beginning. I started learning French when I was, I don't know, my, when I was a teenager. And I, during the last four, five, even six years, I haven't been speaking in French that much. So I'm feeling and I can tell myself that I'm losing the language. 
So that's a really great point that you use it or, or lose it. <laughs> uh, let's talk now about some advantages of learning a second language. There is actually a huge debate on this because not all studies on this topic uh, have always found advantages or the same advantages. So let's explore some of them. Yes, um, the first advantage is the effects of bilingualism on dementia. Speaking a second language can help delay the onset of dementia associated with diseases such as Alzheimer for about four years. When we speak more than two languages, this positive effect is more reliable. However, speaking just a few words on a second language is not effective. You actually need to know the language or at least some basic communication. You just cannot say, hola, and pretend <laughs> that, <laughs> that with knowing another word, you will uh, avoid this. So you actually need to know the language. Right, so it's probably more like having to switch between uh, the two languages, right? Um, and actually, it's speakers who started learning a new language uh, because they immigrated to the new country during their education years or afterwards. Uh, they appear to have or to, to get more benefits from this uh, protective effect of bilingualism or multilingualism against dementia. Mm -hmm. And that's good news, actually. So everybody, no matter how old you are, you now have a good reason to start and continue learning a new language. <laughs> Certainly. Um, do, you know, do you guys know why uh, bilingualism protects against dementia? Yeah, the thing is that uh, having control of two languages forces the brain to have a better cognitive control. And by the brain at the end of the day is similar to a muscle. So the more you use it, the better it gets. Um, choosing between two languages is not just choosing a word in a language or another, but also choosing the grammatical structures, the phonological repertoires, um, you know, all of the aspects of language. So how each language requires speakers to behave in each situation in terms of what is polite, what is not polite, what information needs to be expressed and things like that. Right. So you basically need to pay closer attention to what you're hearing, right? and you need to choose how to react depending on the language and the culture. So basically like being bilingual is not only switching between two languages, it's switching between two cultural norms, like two cultural backgrounds. Yes, yes correct. Two cultural um, contexts. It goes beyond just a linguistic context, but you know, as you said, norms and social um, interactions and everything, yeah. Yeah. and. Uh, this switching also entails that you're going to change between the neural circuits and brain activity that are associated with uh, different the processing of different languages. And the benefit actually in bilinguals is that they have to do this switch in comparison to monolinguals who don't have to switch at all. So in their case, there are no changes, no um, brain plasticity modification or anything like that, and that's why they get uh, dementia symptoms earlier than bilinguals. Yeah, so at the end of the day, it's like a brain workout. The more you work out, the, better, the stronger you get. Definitely, and this brain workout may result in bilingual speakers being faster in selecting relevant information in general and inhibiting that information that is not as useful. 
because that is what they are doing to know which language and cultural background to use in each situation they encounter. Yeah, and like these, uh, like pouring over of the uh, benefits of bilingualism is called the bilingual advantage, right? Yeah, yeah. there has been a lot of research in cognitive advantages, but there is also more everyday beneficial elements, like for example, salaries. Yes, being bilingual can help you earn a higher salary than a monolingual does, especially if you speak both languages fluently. While unclear, this difference may be stronger between monolingual and bilingual women. Yeah, so I think what you're referring to is that uh, these uh, differences between monolinguals and bilinguals in salary expectations is stronger between women than it is between men. But there's a, a point to that. Uh, to get a higher salary or a higher wage, actually need to get a job, right? And I think there is this like widespread myth that uh, speaking another language can help you get a job. Uh, however, um, not everyone considers that being a bilingual is that good uh, because speaking another language means that um, you might have an accent and foreign accents are not always viewed positively. Uh, so for example, uh, speaking English in the US with a Spanish accent can be viewed negatively too sometimes. So we should be very cautious with that. Absolutely, yeah, that happens every day. And that's actually called accentism. Accentism means that people automatically assign certain traits or usually sometimes could be either positive but it can also be negative. And you see uh, another person through that accent. Mm-hmm. And do you think that it's actually changing? So it's hard to say if it's changing or not. Uh, I have heard about several cases, uh, even in the university, where in theory people are a little bit more open-minded. And in the cases I have heard of, it has happened with speakers of different backgrounds, like Chinese or uh, Spanish-speaking. And I don't know, for, like, for me, hopefully it will change, but I think we should also actively like raise awareness about it. Um, just people are really not less valuable or less capable of doing things just because they have a, a different accent. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think accentism could probably be a whole other episode. On yes, its own. yes, it's actually yeah. the opposite, you know. Um, people don't have like less, as you said, that people don't have less val- value or um, they're not able to do certain things because they're bilingual. It's actually the opposite, you know. Being bilingual yeah. opens doors to different uh, views, different perspectives, different cultures. It exercises your brain, it gives mm-hmm. you cognitive advantages. So, it, you know, the, the, the issues of accentism is it, it has a whole layer of social aspects um, that are related to it that go beyond the, the linguistic um, yeah. aspect. So, so you know, w- when we look at research results, um, it should be actually the opposite. We should be valuing um, the abilities of bilinguals instead of um, judging a person just because they have a trait or like some type of trace of another language in, in, in their speech, you know. And it definitely, as Ivan mentioned earlier, um, in some cases it could be like a positive connotation, in some cases it could be negative. I believe that it depends 
on the language and the reputation or like the prestige of the language. In the case of Spanish in the U.S., um, you know, th th there is a lot of negative connotations, as, as you explained, of Spanish-accented speech um, in, in, in English specifically. But there are a lot of English speakers, for example, that find other accents, like um, something, I don't know, attractive. Um, I've heard people say that hearing a French accent in English sounds you know, fancy or, or smart or, or people consider um, British English to be a little more uh, sophisticated. So all, all that also goes into accentism, right? Right. Yeah, so it's like really the social perception and the social uh, like ideas that mm -hmm. have been created regarding like populations of specific countries or... Yeah, I think that we need to see the language as a tool, like as a way of communication. And there is many different users of that tool. Like, for example, if we were using Windows, Mac, everyone is going to use it differently. But at the end of the day, we are users. And I don't think anyone should be discriminated because of the usage of that tool. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, mo the better getaway of this, this conversation. And also, uh, taking in consideration that at the end of the day we are all world citizens speaking English in this case and that's okay if you have an accent that's, that's it's good. totally okay it actually shows um, it's a proof that you speak more than one language it shows that you um, besides being bilingual or could also be bicultural mm -hmm. you know it, it's actually um, something to be proud of i would say um yeah it shows that you have have the uh, tenacity to go through it and like invest the effort in, in learning a new language, language. So. yeah yeah and you succeed yeah yes wow that's very interesting so we started talking about advantages of bilingualism <laughs> and we ended up talking about accentism okay before we move on, I want to go back to to talking about the advantages mm -hmm. and i wanted to ask Many people in the U.S. that are monolingual English speakers, specifically speakers of, for example, African-American English, mm -hmm. experience or they practice some type of code switching in which they switch between dialects instead of between languages. Do you think that could also cause some cognitive advantage? I think so, yeah. And actually, um, in one of the classes I taught, Year, like last spring, um, we looked at that. Uh, there, there are not many students on like the effects of dialects, um, but the more different two dialects are, the more the brain considers them as different languages. So, oh, that's uh, really cool. Yeah, so speaking two dialects can actually be also be very beneficial. Nice. In nice. Okay. Terms. All right. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. Nice, great. And the, yeah, I mean, this is another topic, but uh, like there were also some studies on how uh, the same way that your different languages interfere with each other when you have to activate them, uh, different dialects also um, interfere with each other in the same way that different languages do. Oh, so they follow yeah. the same pattern. Yeah. It's wow. like kind of like in the middle, but yeah, it, yeah. It's, it trends towards bilingualism. Nice. Yeah. 
Nice. That's actually really interesting. We need to understand that a lot of people speaking a language makes a lot of differences, a lot of culture, a lot of societies, a lot of places where there are variations around the world. And especially, for example, in a language like Spanish, there is like a million of variations and possible ways to, to say that. And, and yeah, I think that's, the, that's also the beauty of the language. How to, can you give that uh, personal perspective from your community? And the ability also to change between dialects also. Uh, now we are going to move on to our last section of the podcast. We're going to be talking about challenges of interlearning and how we can practice uh, and improve our second language skills inside of the classroom and overcome also those challenges. So would any of you like to talk about your experience, like what challenges you found when you were learning a new language and what you did to keep improving? Yeah, I think that is basically what Juanjo was introducing earlier, that when you are learning a language, you are not only learning grammatical structures, you are not only learning vocabulary, you are getting an approach to a culture. So in order to make that approach, man, you have to listen to music, you need to watch the films, you need to get as much materials from that target culture as you can, so you actually can understand, can get involved in some way, uh, maybe make friends and use those materials in order to make relationship with that target language. That's a really good way to to acquire to get improve your L2 skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, in my experience, difficulties that I encountered, probably the biggest difficulty was not having anyone to practice with outside of the classroom. But I was able to find ways because I had, you know, intrinsic motivation. So that is, you know, motivation and then the availability of resources, I would say. Those are two of the biggest challenges that L2 learners could could encounter. But there are different ways to overcome these these obstacles. In terms of motivation i i had intrinsic motivation but if you are not naturally motivated to learn a language we have actually spoken about all the advantages the cognitive advantages of um, learning a second language there are also social advantages cultural advantages we mentioned that bilinguals tend to earn more money than monolinguals um so there are so many benefits that one can get from learning a second language. Now, regarding just specific strategies that I used outside of class, for example, I listened to music, I watched movies in the target language, I um, downloaded lyrics of my favorite songs in English, and and I tried to practice the pronunciation and, and, you know, singing along. Then I try to use some online resources, some like apps to continue practicing my my English outside. But I guess it also depends on the language you're you're learning, because for learning English there are way more resources than for learning other languages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree with that. And since you were mentioning the the applications and uh, apps for the for fun. I think that is also very relatable with online teaching and online applications, especially now with the current situation of COVID-19. 
you can always there are Facebook groups of language exchanges and you can maybe have a, like a language partner in the target language or maybe find someone that is interested in your own language and you want to learn the other language and it's free you can make a friend inter international friend that you even can get to visit one day <laughs> yeah and, and try to practice right trying to interact with that person Yes. Yeah, that's very important because oftentimes when we learn a new language, we tend to focus on learning how to write or how to read first, and we don't foc focus on speaking and listening as much. And I think that actually starting to speak from the very beginning is also uh, essential and being consistent. Like if you study yes. like one day and then wait one whole week to start to study again, it's not going to work yeah, out. Yeah, you gotta persevere. You gotta be consistent. Yeah. yeah. Use it or lose it, as we said yeah. earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So what? Uh, I have a question from Ho. Like when you recorded the lyrics, like would you listen to yourself, like singing or speaking? Yes. Yes, I would listen to my own recordings and try to find like any mistakes or anything, uh, you know, anything that didn't sound um, quite right. And I believe that helped a lot. Yeah. Okay. It yeah, helped that's, a lot. That's really interesting because your own brain is able to recognize a song that you've made that is not actually correct, but you know how it's actually the correct one. Yeah, it's like so you, you have is, you, know, you have the yeah you know how a, a specific sound should be produced, but you don't always produce it that way. You know, and that goes. Yeah in the difference between performance and competence. It's like, what is that game called? The uh, broken phone, something like that? In, in like where someone says something and the other person gets like something completely different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty similar system. You know, you're actually like, you are aware of, 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 um, what you should be saying or how you should be saying it but actually when 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 you're saying it saying it, it doesn't come out that way yeah <laughs> and uh, what apps have you used or what strategies have you used that uh, you found help you in learning like more vocabulary or uh, maybe like fixating the grammar i've used duolingo a lot for learning italian i took one semester of italian and then just didn't use it again but then a couple of years ago I wanted to you know reactivate my Italian and I started using Duolingo and that helped a lot you know mm -hmm. for grammar and, and vocabulary but also for learning English for example English vocabulary I was getting ready to take the TOEFL exam uh -huh. and something I did because you know in the TOEFL exam they they test you on like very specific vocabulary and all these words that people really don't use on, on a daily mm -hmm. basis, but you know, there are words that you might encounter in an academic setting. Something I did was I created like little flashcards or like little cards uh -huh. that had the word on one side and then on the back, the definition in a couple of examples. And I had probably like, I don't know, 70, 80 words every week. And I put the, the little cards on like type of, metal ring uh -huh. and I would take it with me everywhere and then when I was like on the bus or just you know not doing anything I would go flip through the cards and try to remember the meaning and use it in, a, in an example 
Um, it's actually but, really interesting. That is what is called contextualized input. You yeah. put input into context, and it's it's helpful to remember. It's like yeah. an interesting mm -hmm. trick that everyone can use for remember words and put it in context. Yeah, it actually helped a lot. But um, I definitely did it while I was preparing to take the TOEFL exam. It was not a constant strategy that I mm -hmm. used since the beginning of my ELTO learning. But I, I think it would help for any, you know, even if you're not getting ready to take a test, like, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's very important, also like Ivan said. And I, I also think that another thing related to that is that you were learning words for a specific purpose, right? Yeah. And I think the good thing about learning a new language on your own or like doing the effort on your own and not necessarily going to a class is that you can actually learn the words that you want to learn. So for example, if in class, like we learn, I don't know, like family members and numbers and like how to say things about hotels, for example. But like, for example, my family is not that big. Like I don't really need to learn right now, like yeah. 50 different terms to call people, right? <laughs> but maybe, I don't know, like I like, say I like baking, so I can learn the vocabulary about baking and I'm going to be much more eager to learn that and it's going yeah. to be much more useful so I think that finding what kind of areas you want to explore is also yeah. very and the, the vacant example you give is, is actually good because that'll probably help you out you know like getting more recipes in, right. in, in, in a different language you'll be able to have uh, like a larger number of, of goods that you can bake, you know, from yeah. like different cultures and stuff, so. You well, establish conversations. Like <laughs> 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 Building up on that example, yeah, that, that's actually, I would say like, you know, the conclusion of that would be just take um, responsibility or take control of your right. L2 learning, right? Even if you're in learning in a second language in a classroom, outside of the classroom, you can take that um, language and direct it towards whatever you're interested in, you know? You might right. be interested, I don't know, in like um, anime or an anything, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and just try to target that specific area of interest in, 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 in the target language. And yeah, you can also find people on the target language that do that. For sure, there is like a lot of people in, in the U.S. that bake. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then you can That's have a stable, you can establish a conversation with yeah. them, have fun, make friends, learn new things about baking, yeah. you know, because yeah. I mean, every day we learn new things, so yeah, it's a way like maybe start watching videos, uh, checking out uh, mm. blogs, things like yeah. that, and, and it actually expands the like the domains that you have that you know, the domains in which you can, um develop your second language. Mm -hmm. um, an experience that happened to me, for example, I, I like soccer, so I, I play soccer, I've been playing soccer since I was a child. But every time I watched soccer and I played soccer, I did it in Spanish. Uh -huh. I, whenever I watch soccer, it's in Spanish, I played soccer in Spanish. So once I came to the US and I started playing soccer here in the US and watching soccer in the US, it it's in English, so I felt like I couldn't play as well oh, when I was playing when I had to communicate with the other players in English because I didn't know what to say or what phrases to use because the vocabulary is very specific you know mm -hmm. so yeah once once I came to the US like I, I try to 
play soccer with English speakers and 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 I was actually able to learn now the the wording and the vocab that that people use in, in you know like the soccer jargon you would say <laughs> um but yeah it was it was you know really interesting so well I, that's a really nice example and I was thinking of mine because you say baking soccer well <laughs> my I, interest... I don't like baking but it was just an example <laughs> okay. well my example is cars okay. <laughs> I love cars <laughs> Um, it is interesting because I have more or less a similar story like the one that you have with soccer and to me it's like naming things like naming I don't know what is a break or what is a disc and having a conversation with a native speaker and I will have to go through that uh, through that process in thinking okay which words should I use the Spanish that is like the one that I've been using during my entire life or the English. So there is that moment in where you start thinking about it and you freeze, but that's kind of usage that you need to get and try to go through it. And, but yeah, it's because at the end of the day, you have two, two systems, you have two languages and you need to learn how to combine all of them and mm -hmm. try to make it quick. Yeah, and after you use um, the language in that specific context, then you become better and better at it and and mm -hmm. then it comes out natural yeah. yeah because it's just the the vocabulary the rest of it that you can practice anything yeah so okay well that's, that's everything we have for today thank you juan and ivan for joining me in this podcast and thank you all for listening to another episode of are you bilingual Yes, yeah. and if you want to find out more about Are You Bilingual and the work that we do, you can visit Are You Bilingual's website. That is areyoubilingual.weebly.com. And please follow us on our social media as well. We are on Facebook as Are You Bilingual. Don't miss anything. Bye.